Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. The parable that we're looking at is a parable of the prodigal son. And, and sometimes people think, well, since it's talking about that younger son that uh, committed so much sin in his life and disgraced his father, that the word prodigal really means sinful. It, it does, and it, it means really to be extremely extravagant. And he was in a wasteful way. But also in this parable, we get a picture of the heavenly father in his father uh, who is extravagant in a good way, uh, providing grace and open arms and welcoming that young son uh, back. The uh, first week we just kind of did an overview of, of the whole parable and then we talked about the people around Jesus and as I've kind of mentioned to you each week that might have been a little bit of a shocking message for some people because when you think about people hanging out around Jesus you typically think oh religious people and the truth of the matter was there there were some religious people there uh, you know that day the scribes and the Pharisees were kind of standing back with judgmental attitude uh, that day but what they were upset about was this Jesus was allowing tax collectors and and uh, sinners to come and hang out and listen to him. And he was even fellowshipping with them and eating with them. And that just, you know, tore the religious crowd up. And they were really upset about it. So when you think about people around Jesus, it wasn't just the religious crowd. He let sinners be there uh, also. So that's why it might shock you uh, just a little bit. Uh, Daryl, because I was gone uh, to Cairo's prison ministry, talked about the uh, younger son. And that's typically the message that people get out of this story because it's easy to see his sin. And then I came back the next week, which was last week, and we talked about the elder son. And it's a little bit more difficult to understand the sin that is there. But I'm telling you, his sin is probably the more dangerous of, of the sins in this story. And we'll even see that a, a little bit more today because what we're talking about today is redefining sin. In, in the story, I think Jesus gives us a, a deeper definition of sin than maybe people were used to, and maybe even that people might be used to today. Back in the very first part of uh, Luke chapter 15, that's where this parable is found, the context as to why Jesus is telling the story is in the attitudes of those Pharisees that I alluded to a moment ago. The, the Bible said, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, in other words, the religious crowd, grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So because of their attitude, it says, So he told them this parable. That That's the whole intent of why Jesus tells this story. To address their attitudes. To let the Pharisees and the scribes know they had a wrong attitude. They needed to change their hearts. And in doing so, Jesus more or less challenges everything the religious crowd then and today still yet maybe have been taught or believed. Because the religious crowd, the Pharisees in that day and time, would have listened to the story and they would have gravitated over here toward the elder son. And they would have thought, man, he's doing exactly what he ought to do. He stayed at home when his younger brother ran off. He stayed at home and he worked really hard in staying close to the father. And by doing so, he would earn his his 
inheritance from the Father. That's the mentality that the Pharisees had in the relationship that they thought a person could get to God. The, the Pharisees had this mentality that it's only by obeying God's commands that you can be in a right relationship with Him and ultimately receive salvation if you're obedient enough would have been the way that they approached things. And as Jesus tells them a story that more or less would have shocked them because it challenged everything that they believed. They, they believed that, you know, be good, work real hard, God will owe you, and God will have to let you into heaven. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. And that's why it's really important today that we think about redefining sin. Jesus challenges in contrast several things in this parable. But I think he especially gives us a very challenging look at, at sin. The elder brother said this. The younger brother had come home. Dad was throwing a party for him. The older brother's upset, won't go into the party. The father comes out, begs him to come in. And the elder brother looks at his dad very disrespectfully. And when you look at it in the Greek, it's like he said, Look, you, listen to me. These many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. In other words, the elder brother had the idea, the attitude, as long as I serve you really, really, really good, you, you have to listen to what I tell you. And in this story, we're going to see that's not the case at all. We're going to look at several contrasts and issues as we try and see how Jesus redefines sin in, in, in this text. The first contrast in issue is this. There, there are two ways, I think, based upon what Jesus says here, that you can try and get what you want out of life. In those two ways, we're not just operative then. They're really operative in our culture still yet today. The, the two ways that people try to get what they want out of life, the first one, you might call this the way of self-discovery. And the way of self-discovery is pictured in the life of the younger son because he more or less violates all the traditions of the day. And he says, I'm, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to be connected with my family, my dad. I'm not going to wait for him to die to get my inheritance. I'm going to ask for it now. And then he more or less goes on an expedition out in the world to find out what will make him happy. What will give him fulfillment in life. He goes on this experiment to try this and try that. That's the way a lot of people live their lives today. They're on an expedition through experimenting with everything the world can have to offer them to find out what will make them happy. And that's one way that people try and get what they want out of life. And that's just self-discovery. A person that has the self-discovery mentality, it, it, it's even shown in this verse, it says not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. He's on a self-discovery mission trying to find out what will, will give him peace, what will make him have fulfillment in life. In the way of self-discovery, even in this day and time, it involves a person more or less thinking like this. The person feels like they have to be free to pursue whatever makes them happy, no matter what tradition says, no matter what culture says, no matter what their family might say, no matter what God may say, no matter what the Bible might say. They think they need to tear down all parameters, all barriers that can keep them from pursuing what they think would make them happy. 
That's huge in our culture today. I hope you understand that. It's very huge in our culture today that, that people are thinking, you know, no one has the right to limit me whatsoever. Not, you know, not God, not the Bible, not the church, not, you know, not my family, uh, not my friends, not government, whatever. Let's tear down all the walls. And, and as long as I'm doing what I want, makes me happy, it ought to be okay. A lot of people live their lives like that like this younger son did in, in, in self-discovery. But there's another way that people try and also get what they want out of life or find fulfillment to get what they think might make them happy, and, and it's the way of moral conformity. And when you talk about or think about the way of moral conformity, it's pictured in the, in the elder brother in this story. The reason he was angry, because it, we're told here he was angry, refused to go in. The reason he was angry is he thought that he had conformed enough to the father's will that, that the father ought to have to listen to him. And what he was telling the father was this, look, it's wrong. You shouldn't have brought him back into the family. He went off and wasted all that. Don't bring him back in. Don't give him part of the inheritance again. Look at me. I've been really good. I've stayed here serving you all these years. I've never, ever disobeyed a command, anything that you said. That's the way of an elder brother of moral conformity. See, to be honest with you, both of these brothers wanted the same thing. They just chose different pathways to try and grab it. That the younger brother wanted the father's stuff because he just asked for it. He said, more or less, he said, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. I'm gone. But what the older brother wanted was also the exact same thing. He didn't really care about the father or what made the father happy or wasn't happy just being with the father. He wanted the father's stuff also. He just chooses a different pathway to try and get the inheritance. He he chooses to be very good. He chooses to try and conform morally to anything that he thought the father would want. And, And he kind of thought this, if I can just be good enough, the father will have to give me the inheritance. The father will have to think better of me than he does my younger brother because of how good I've been. He thought that the father owed him. And that was the mentality of the Pharisees. That's why Jesus is telling the story. The Pharisees thought, if I'm good enough, God will have to let me into heaven. If I'm good enough, God will have to bless me. If I live a moral enough life, God will have to listen to me when I pray to him. He'll have to answer my prayers. That's the approach. Of the elder brother. That's approachable moral conformance still yet in this day and time. There are people who attend church every week that could probably take a theological test and pass it on questions about salvation through Christ alone. But while they might believe it here, they're not fully convinced here and they're still trying to do things to where the Father will owe them. To where they think they can make demands of the Father. So the first thing we're contrasting is just simply that. There are two ways that people live their lives that they think can make them happier. They think they can get what they want out of life. Because of those two ways, there, there are also two thought processes or two philosophies in our society today. In that day and time and still yet in our society, two main divisions of thought or philosophies. One follows the, the guideline of that self-discovery type of person. The younger brother, their mentality is that I can find happiness by throwing off all boundaries and live my life however I want to. 
The, the attitude of someone that's a self-discovery type of person, a younger brother type of person, is kind of communicated in these statements. I'm the only one who can decide what's right or wrong for me. I'm going to live as I want and find true self and happiness this way. Now, there are people all across our world, all across our country. Some of us are maybe guilty of that right now today. That's kind of our mentality, the way we're living our lives. And, and, and people that have that self-discovery type of mentality also kind of think like this. It's the moral conformity people in the world that are bigots. They're the ones that are really causing all the trouble because they think they own the truth. And they're the real problem in the world. And we, the self-discovery, more progressive type individuals, we're the solution for all the ills of society. A lot of people think that in our day and time. You think a lot of the issues we're facing in our country, people are deluded to think the issues that our country are facing are because of Republican and Democrats or political stuff. Hey, it's deeper than that. It goes to this stuff we're talking about right here. What is life really about? You know, how, what right, how, how, how should I live my life? What right do I have to live my life? What right do you have to tell me how to live my life? The philosophy of moral conformity people kind of goes like this. I'm not going to do what I want to do, but what tradition in the community want me to do. And their idea is the immoral people, like the younger brother, the immoral people who do their own thing are the real problem with the world, and immoral people are the solution. Those, those two thought processes are, are huge in our culture, and you have this, this big riff in, in culture, big riff in society all across the world because of those two mentalities. What we need to guard against is this, and the only reason I didn't spend any time to bring this up, I started to mark it even out of the sermon after I added it in. But, but the reason I, I decided to leave it in is that we need to understand, because sometimes I think as the church, we put people in categories and we just think, all right, you're there and you're here. Well, the truth of the matter is those lines blur a lot sometimes. Because someone who thinks they're a really, really, really moral person sometimes will decide to step out of bounds into self-discovery. And when they do, we think, man, what a hypocrite. You know, that's the way we look at that. Look at that Pharisee. Look at that hypocrite. Look at the way he's lived his life. Look at what he's done. But the truth of the matter is, the flip side of the coin, that someone that's a self-discovery type person, like the younger brother who's maybe a more progressive type, they're just as judgmental and just as narrow-minded, even though they say, oh, how open-minded I am, they're only open-minded if you believe the way they want you to believe. That's when they're open-minded. And if you're a moral conformity person and they don't think they're a moral conformity person, they think, oh, that's wrong. If you don't have those rules, they themselves are being like Pharisees and judgmental because they want you to fit in their box. And the truth of the matter is none of us always fit in the box. Do you understand that? Sometimes it's just by taking an expedition into one of those two philosophies. Sometimes it may be a total transformation that takes place. Someone changes from one to the other. But we need to be on guard in the church that we don't categorize everybody that we meet here or there because the truth of the matter is the lines aren't that hard when you think about it. Third thing I want you to notice to, today is this, is we're trying to contrast some, some thoughts here uh, back and forth uh, in this story. I think as Jesus tells this story, we can also find two ways to remain lost. Two ways to remain lost. First is really straightforward. 
We, we would all kind of agree with it because it's our conventional view of being lost. And that is for someone just to remain in their sin. The younger brother, because of the way he performed, the way he did his life, the way he disrespected the father, the way he went and wasted everything with prostitutes and, you know, just wild living is the picture we get of him. He clearly gives us a picture of a sinful life. Because of disgrace of the Father and all that he all that he did, and had he stayed in that venue, had he stayed in that position, had he stayed with that attitude, had he refused to have a wake up call and understand the cost that sin had taken him to, and how he had sinned against his father, and how he needed to go to apologize, had he stayed there, then he would be giving us a picture of someone that remains in sin, and he would have stayed outside the Father's. Grace and mercy. That's where a lot of people are in their life. That may be where you are today. I'm not making any assumptions because I don't know anybody else's heart but my own. But if you remain in sin, the Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. That means all of us are sinners. But if we remain in our sin, the only thing that happens is that we'll be separated from God for all eternity. We will miss heaven. We will miss a relationship for all eternity with Jesus Christ who loved us enough to die on the cross for us. Remaining in sin is a way just to stay lost. If you just stay in your sin, never ever repent, guess what? You're lost and that's where you will die. And that's what you'll be for all eternity, lost. If you remain in sin. That's one way to stay lost, just remain in sin. The second way to remain lost might shock you. Because in this story, there's another way for a person to remain lost, and that is not just remaining in a very sinful lifestyle, but if you remain in self-righteousness. Because in this story, we get a picture of self-righteousness, a huge picture of that in the elder brother. He gives us a picture of remaining lost by someone being dependent upon his own goodness, trusting in his own labors, his own works, as a way to earn or get what he wanted. He thought that he deserved the Father's inheritance because of his performance, because of how good he had been. That's why he says this verse that I'll keep bringing up before you today in the message. That's why he says, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. He, he thought he'd been good enough to earn the inheritance. And you see, the, the, the tragic thing, and that's why I said we need to understand, and, and while this second way to remain lost might be a shock to you, the tragic thing is I'm afraid that there are tons of people set in churches week in and week out who are trusting in their own performance, they're trusting in their own righteousness, they're trusting in their own works, they're trusting in their own goodness. They might say, well, Jesus died on the cross for me, and they've got all the head knowledge, but in their heart, they're still relying upon what they themselves are doing or have done or can do, ultimately to know that they'll get into heaven one day. They're thinking by their good works, they can manipulate the Father. If I pray enough, if I read my Bible enough, if I tithe enough, if I go to church enough, I'll get God to the point that he owes me and God will have to answer my prayers and let me into heaven when I die. In other words, someone can die forever lost just for living a sinful life. But someone can also die forever lost by depending on themselves being very, very good. 
And I think that's the most important part of this story that the church misses because we're all the time talking about the prodigal son and his sin when the most deceitful thing that's taking place in this story is you can deceive yourself into thinking you're okay because you're looking at your own goodness. And the Bible clearly says there's no one good, no, not what? One. Includes all of us. Two ways to to remain lost. Just stay in your sin or keep trusting in self-righteousness. It's really a radical message that Jesus gives here. He, he's telling us that the lover of prostitutes can be saved, but the elder brother that uh, has a very high moral fiber is lost because he's dependent upon his own goodness and his own works. Dr. Keller in his book, Prodigal God, puts it like this on, on page 35. The elder brother is not losing the father's love in spite of his goodness, but because of his goodness. Man, isn't that a scary thought? Because people tend to think, if I'm good, I'll, I'll go to heaven. Now, if you're trusting in your goodness, you will die lost for all eternity. If you trust in your own performance and what you think you can do. The elder brother types of the world are self-righteous, moral conformists. They're not lost because of their lack of personal goodness. They're lost because they depend upon their own personal goodness. Jesus tells another parable that really goes right along with this um, in, in Luke chapter 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated themselves and, and treated others with, with contempt rather. So he, he's telling this parable for the same reason he tells the one we're looking at in this series. Here's what Jesus told in this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, the tax collector in that day and time, to give you a background understanding to it, the tax collector was someone that worked for the Roman government, extracting taxes from the Jews who were God's people, so they looked at the tax collectors as being terrible, terrible sinners because they worked for the Roman Empire, worked for the enemy. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. I've never thought about this much before, but I just read that. I wonder why he was standing by himself. Might be because he's a Pharisee and no one wanted to stand around him. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Man, do you see the prideful attitude that's in his heart? God, I'm glad I'm not like these lowly sinners. I'm glad that I'm like this. And here's what I do for you. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus tells them the intent of this story. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. In other words, he was right before God rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee. And here's why Jesus says that's true. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Pharisees and people that believe that they'll go to heaven because they're being very, very good. They're exalted themselves. They're, they're trying to be their own God. They're trying to be their own Savior. And that's why they're remaining in their sin because they are trusting in their own goodness. Fourth thing today is, as we're contrasting some, uh, some issues is, is this, and this is really the crux of what we're talking about today. 
Because Jesus, I think, gives us a, a redefined sin, a new definition of sin in this story. Everyone looks at the younger brother and says, yep, that's sin. A lot of people fail to look at this elder brother and understand he was messed up. There's also two definitions of sin in this story. The first definition of sin is living a life of disobedience. That's the one we see so readily, so easily. That, that's the younger brother. I mean, he even admitted to himself that he was messed up into the father. In Luke 15, 21, the father said, to, or, or the son said to him, talking to his father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And notice in the hierarchy of things where he says he had sinned first. I've sinned against heaven, but father, I've also sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The elder brother gives us a picture of the younger brother by saying, this son of yours who has devoured your property of prostitutes. And what we see in this younger brother, that's clearly sin. I mean, anyone here today and probably anyone in our culture, whether they are a Christian or a non-Christian, if you were to kind of give them the story of this younger brother, they would say, yeah, that's messed up. That's that's a person doing a lot of bad. Sure, that's a picture of a sinner. And Jesus tells that in this story, it is, it is a definition of sin, but it, but it's not the full definition of sin. This younger brother is trying to manipulate the father to get what he wanted through rebellion. And the problem with many people, even in our churches today, are kind of like the Pharisees, in the way we interpret sin is looking at what this younger brother's like. That's our definition of sin. And like I said, it is sin, but sin, Jesus gives us in the story, a much broader format, a much bigger definition of sin than just rebellion. That's why Jesus is even telling the story, because the Pharisees did not see themselves as sinners. They thought that they were okay. But Jesus in this story redefines sins and gives us a deeper understanding of sin as seen not from our eyes, but from God the Father's eyes. So the second definition of sin, not just a life of disobedience, but the second definition of sin is this. Am I surprising? You ready for it? Second definition of sin is dependent upon a life of obedience. If you are trusting in a life of obedience that you yourself are living as a way to make yourself right with God, all that is is a different form of sin. Go back to what I said a moment ago. All it is is this elder brother trying to get what he wanted from the father by being very good, by being obedient. The, the scripture we've had in front of us all morning, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. We keep coming back to that statement today because it's really what we need to focus on and understand the, the, the danger of this kind of attitude. He was dependent upon his life obedience as a reason the father should love him and give him the inheritance. And there are people all across our world and all in our churches that if you really pulled everything back and got down to what they really, really, really believe and what they're really trusting in, 
they're, they're trying to be good because they think if they're good, they can manipulate God, and, and God will have to respond to them. God will have to answer their prayers, as I said earlier. God will have to let them into heaven. Both of these sons wanted the father's stuff. Both of them resented the father's authority. They just sought different ways to manipulate the father. One was doing it out of his disobedience and rebellion. One was doing it by trying to be very, 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 very good. And if you're someone today that thinks by being good, if you're here at church today because you thought, you know what, this morning when I got up, if I go to day three church, that'll give me some brownie points with God. If I go sing a few songs, if I sit through a sermon, if I throw a little bit of money in the offering plate, that'll earn me some brownie points with God, and I can use that to get what I want. See, when you're trusting in what you think you can do, here's the problem. You're trying to be your own God. You're trying to be your own Savior. You're trying to be your own Lord. You're trying to be your own judge. You're trying to act like you don't need God's grace. You're trying to act like you're okay and you can earn your way. When the truth of the matter is this, we, none of us are okay. All of us are sinners. All of us need grace. Younger brothers and elder brothers alike need grace. Self-discovery people and people that depend upon their moral conformity, they all need grace. And that's a part of this story that, that I'm afraid some people might miss. Sin is failing to keep God's commandments. Sin is breaking God's rules, but it's more than that. Sin is also you trying to be self-righteous. You act like you don't need God. And you're trying to avoid Jesus by your good works. You're trying to avoid admitting that you have needs, admitting that you're messed up. And you're trying to find some other way than Jesus Christ. And that is the worst kind of sin because that's the kind of sin that will leave you lost forever. Because you might be so deceived in believing it, you never understand how much you need a Savior. Last thing I want you to get this morning is this. Last contrasting issue that, that I see in this story is more or less there are two pathways that's pictured here to God. One's false and one's true. The first pathway that people tried to choose is, is pictured here in the elder brother. And that is people try and have this project of self-salvation of human works. But it's, it's a false project. It doesn't work. I mean, we try and reform ourselves. We, we make a project out of ourselves. We'll, we'll prop ourselves up. We'll be very, very good. We'll, we'll change ourselves. And God will notice that and pay attention. And he'll have to let me into heaven one day when I die. The elder brother was seeking to earn his inheritance by his goodness, by his obedience, by his own human works. And that's why he said, look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. But you see, the Bible tells us self-salvation by works does not work. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, For by works of the law, no human being, I'm assuming that means all of us, whether you think you're a younger brother type or an elder brother type, 
For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. You will not be made right in God's sight. Because through the law, it never was given to you to be a stairway to heaven to where you'll just try and reform yourself and do better and better and better and one day jump over the gates of heaven. That's not what the law was given for. The law was given to us when we read it so we look at it and we think, my God, I messed up. I am screwed up. I'm, I'm without any hope. I'm, I'm lost. I'm a sinner. That's why the law was given to us. It's only by grace that a person can be saved through faith. It's not of their own doing. It's not of works. It's a gift that God wants to give us because we would boast about it if somehow we could be good enough to earn acceptance with God. So there's two ways that people try and get to God. And one is this, is human works. The problem with human works is that human works does not work. Now, listen to me. Hear me clearly. I don't want someone coming to church at day three today, and then you're going to leave and go away and say, well, man, that preacher said that it doesn't matter how I live. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this, you cannot be good enough to work your way to heaven. Listen to the distinction between this. I'm accepted by God because I worked really hard and obeyed His commandments. Or, I am working really hard for God because I'm accepted. You see the difference? A lot of people are trying really, really hard to earn acceptance with God by, by their good works. By being a good person. And that doesn't work. You and I as Christians should obey Him. We should serve Him. But it's not in order that we can be saved. It's because we have been saved. Because He died for us on the cross. Because of His amazing grace. Man, we ought to be compelled to do something for Jesus. Not like we're trying to earn our way to heaven. So if that doesn't work, what works then? Well, what works is this. God's true power of salvation, which is the gospel of grace. Self-salvation is a failed project. It will never, ever work. The only way to receive God's salvation is by God's grace, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Righteousness is not found in good works. Righteousness is not earned by obeying the law. Instead, look what the Bible has to say. But now in the righteousness, but now the righteousness of God, in other words, the, the way to be made right with God, and, and God Himself being righteous the way He did this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That means without the law. You understand that? So so you, there's no working your way to heaven, there's no being good enough. The, the law and the prophets witness about it, witness about this grace, this gospel that was going to come. They told about it in advance. But then he goes on, he says the righteousness of God, here's how it happens. It's through faith in Jesus Christ to all who, what's the word? What's the word? Believe? Really? Not work? 
For there's no distinction. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. I read that a moment ago. And a lot of times we'll stop there. But we need to keep on reading. And, and are justified by His grace. In other words, we can be made just like we've never sinned. By God's unmerited favor. By God's grace as a free gift. Not something you work for. Not something you earn. Not something He owes you. Through the redemption. Through the price that Jesus paid for you on the cross of Calvary. Jesus suffered and paid for your sins with His shed blood. whom God put forward as a propitiation, as that sacrifice by his blood, to be in your place is what that means, to, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, referring to God, might be just and also the justifier of the one who has, notice this, faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It, it is excluded. What, what kind of law? In other words, you know, why keep obeying the law? Try to boast about it like you're earning your way to heaven by law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified, one is made right with God, one is made innocent, proclaimed innocent by God, by your faith apart from works of the law. Self. Redemption, trying to save yourself, work your way to heaven, does not work. What does work is the gospel of grace, where we receive Christ as our Savior. Dr. Keller, in his, in his book, also said this, Jesus does not divide the world into moral good guys, into moral bad guys. Instead, what Jesus is showing through this story about the elder brother and the younger brother is that everybody has their own little project of salvation to find fulfillment. And, and neither one works. Both are lost. Elder brother types say the good people like us, they're the ones that are in. They're the ones that are okay. They're the ones that are going to heaven. The moral conformity type people, that's what they believe. Well, we're in because we're good. We're, we're going to go to heaven. And those sinful people there, those immoral people, they're the real problem in the world, and they're going to be left out. Younger brother types, those say this, the open-minded self-discovery people, man, we're the one that's in. It's those bigoted, narrow-minded people. Those moral conformers, they're the one that's going to be left out. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says they're both left out. A person who's living a life of sin or a person that's trying to reform himself, earn his way to heaven by being very, very good, they're both left out. Because both have a pride problem. And the Bible tells us some things we need to recognize about pride. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty or the prideful, he knows from afar. James wrote this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
See, someone that's living a life of rebellion, they're more or less doing it out of pride. I want what I want out of life, and I'm going to get it the way I want to get it. But the person that's trying to be very, 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 very good is also living a prideful life because they're thinking, look at me, look what I've done. God, you'll have to let me into heaven one day. Jesus more or less tells us here both are lost. The younger brother and the older brother. The younger brother comes to himself, recognizes his lost condition. He returns to the Father, asks for the Father's forgiveness, and the Father throws a party of grace. That's what God does for us when we see ourselves as we are and we come to Him. And He throws a party of grace and He invites us in. But the older brother refused to attend the party because he thought he had worked hard enough to earn his standing with the Father. And he's left standing outside the party of grace. The band's going to come and we're going to do this thing in church we call invitations. And what it amounts to is this. You just need to see yourself where you are and ask God to help you see where you are. If you're someone that's living a life like a younger brother, maybe you need to have a wake-up call and see what sin is costing you and turn around and come to the Father. But if you're someone that now that maybe today we've stripped back some layers just a little bit and you see yourself and the elder brother and maybe somehow you've been thinking, I, I, if I can just be good enough, I can control God and God will have to give me what I want. He'll have to let me go to heaven if I can just be good enough then you need to see yourself where you are also. Because the truth is, is this. Everyone, everyone, everyone needs grace. Everybody needs grace. None of us are good enough. Younger brother types and older brother types alike. The immoral and the moral all need God's grace. And you want to know what the amazing thing is in this story? The father loved both of them and gave an invitation to both of them. He gave an invitation to that wild living son to come back home. You're forgiven. Here's my robe. Let's have a party. You're back home. But he also gave an invitation to this brother that thought he was good enough and had earned his way. Will you please, please come in to this party of grace? Will you please let me be more important to you than the stuff you think you can get from me? And God invites you to the same party. He invites you to the same celebration. Whether you're a self-discovery type of person or whether you're a moral conformist, whether you're trying to get what you want out of life by sin or you're thinking you're going to be good enough to get what you want, He gives an invitation to both of you. Both of us. Both categories of people. Being bad is a sin. That's what I want you to understand today. It is. But depending upon being good is the most dangerous sin. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you that you're a gracious God, that you extend an invitation, that you love us, that you, you sent your Son to die on the cross. You've got a grace party right now that you want to invite us to.
But Father, there are people here right now that have just been living in rebellion against you and they've never really come to you as Savior. And they've been living their life however they want to, thinking they can somehow discover happiness and fulfillment by, by just living however they want to in the world. Father, show them that that doesn't work and it will destroy their lives and leave them lost. But Father, there are people here today that feel like that somehow they're being very, very good. And by being very, very good, that they're going to earn a status with you. That they're going to earn their entrance to heaven. That they're going to save themselves by their goodness. Father, help them to see that that doesn't work either. And they need grace just as much as a person that lives in immorality. The person that is trusting in their own morality needs your grace just as much. Speak to us. Help us to respond to what you say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.